This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 10th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. For hundreds of thousands of Salvadoran refugees who came to the United States following a massive earthquake 16 years ago, the future has just become much less secure. The Trump administration plans to kick most of them out of the U.S., even though El Salvador now has one of the world's highest murder rates. Cato's Alex Narasta comments. There was an earthquake in El Salvador, quite a devastating one. And as a result, the George W. Bush administration decided to stop the deportations of uh, illegal El Salvadoran immigrants in the U.S., unless they were criminals or national security threats, and to instead grant them what's called temporary protected status, which gives them a work permit that has to be renewed every 18 months by the president. Uh, but that does not give them any access to welfare. Okay, and throughout the administration, there was no there was no change. They were allowed to renew their status, or was it just sort of an open ended, non promise promise that they could stay? Every eighteen months, the administration of George W. Bush and Barack Obama renewed all of these TPS statuses for the El Salvadorans. Okay, and now we have a new administration that has promised to get tough on. Uh, people who are from other countries in the United States. Uh, what does this uh, event that he's not going to recertify them or, or uh, agree to let them continue to stay, what does it mean for them? So it means there's about 250, 260,000 of them. The administration estimates that about 200,000 of that 250, 260 will not be able to get uh, a green card or another form of status which means that for those folks, they will lose their work status in the United States. They will then become illegal immigrants at the end of the 18-month period, and they, their employers will have to fire them by law. And they, if they hold a job after that, uh, they will hold the job illegally. And they have children. So what's uh, most worrying is, uh, according to the Center for Migration Studies in New York State, about there are about 200,000 citizen children of um, these El Salvadoran TPS recipients currently in the United States. So about as many citizen children as there are people who will lose their status in 18 months. So if Donald Trump were to wake up tomorrow and say, oh, this is a horrible mistake, I can't do this, what could he do for these people if he wanted to? Well, he could renew TPS in 18 months. Um, This is a portion of the law that just gives full authority to the president um, to do what he wants to renew or not renew uh, TPS. Earlier this year, he did cancel it. uh, A few months ago, sorry, in 2017, he did cancel it for Haitians who had stayed here as a result of uh, an earthquake in Haiti who had TPS. So the president could reverse himself on this if he wanted to uh, if he realizes that he made a mistake. But is that all he can do? I mean, could he grant these people green cards unilaterally? No, he can't do anything like that. The process of getting a green card is spelled out in statute by Congress, and there's no special way for people on temporary protected status to get a green card. I mentioned earlier about the 50 to 60,000 of them who will probably be able to. Um, Those people will be able to get it because they married an American. Uh, or have some other family relation to an American citizen, and that's how they'll be able to adjust. But there is no special pathway that Congress has created for TPS recipients, and the president cannot grant green cards. All right. So what do we know about these people? I mean, presumably the reasons that Donald Trump wants to get tough on 
uh, foreigners who are here either on, a, uh, on visas or uh, some other temporary status uh, is to he wants to protect American workers. He wants to protect uh, us from harm or crime. What do we know about the, these Salvadorans? We don't know a whole lot about specifically about these folks, but we've been able to use some residual statistical methods to to get some good ideas. Uh, one uh, is that about just over eighty percent of them are in the workforce, are working, uh, have labor for, are in the labor force participation rate. Uh, that's compared to about sixty-two percent of native-born Americans. So they're much more likely to work than natives. About thirty percent of them have mortgages in the United States, so they own property of one kind or another. That's compared to about sixty percent or so of uh, native-born Americans who have a mortgage and own uh, their own property. They are primarily living in the Washington D.C. area. is actually the number one area for El Salvadorans in the United States. After that, it's uh, Southern California, uh, and there's a few other urban areas where some of them are located. They we don't have great information on crime. Uh, but if it's similar to other Hispanics in the United States, Hispanic immigrants in the United States, and they have a crime rate that is about uh, one-third to about half that of native-born Americans, uh, these are folks who have been living here for at least 17 years, some of them for much longer, going back to the late 1980s. Is that why we have uh, such a wide uh, availability of Salvadoran food in D.C.? Absolutely. Um, if you like El Salvadoran food, this is like the best place in the country to come and get it. It's why you have a lot of restaurants, and it's why you have a lot of restaurants that are, you know, different types of Latin food mixed, but they almost always include, you know, Salvadoran in the title of the restaurant. Congress doesn't seem capable. Correct me if I'm wrong. It Congress doesn't seem capable of fixing this, of of providing some sort of extension or uh, providing a dare I say it amnesty to. Uh, these people who've been here for so long? Congress seems completely uninterested. They have their hands full dealing with DACA, with trying to legalize the seven to 800,000 or so um, illegal immigrants who were granted a work permit under President Obama's administration, but then that was rescinded by President Trump in 2017. So they have their hands full with that. That's sucking up all the oxygen out of the air. And that's going to be hard enough to do on its own. Um, nobody in Congress is thinking about the Salvadorans. Nobody in Congress is thinking about these people who've lived here, uh, in many cases, 25, 30 years, who have lives, who've worked legally, um, who are now have a clock ticking. What do we know about El Salvador today? I mean, it seems like just on the basis of the institutional quality of El Salvador alone that the United States ought to be allowing more people as as refugees into the United States. El Salvador has one of the highest murder rates in the world. It's many, many times higher than that than what it is in the United States. Uh, MS-13 gang uh, is very powerful in that country. Uh, it's a gang that started in the United States, but due to American immigration policies, um, they were all basically deported. Most of them were deported, and now they've set up shop and run large portions of El Salvador. It's a very dangerous country. Uh, under any rational system of asylum or refugees or other humanitarian immigration, a lot of these El Salvadorans in the United States would be able to stay here, would be able to say they have a well-founded fear of persecution if they got sent back to that country due to the high murder rate and to the fact that a lot of them will be specific 
specifically targeted by MS-13 because a lot of them have done very well in the United States. They have money. They have connections, um, et cetera. Maybe they, they know people in the United States that MS-13 has a beef with, with. So you have all these problems. You have a country in Latin America that has done very poorly economically in terms of crime. And we have a large population of working people in the U.S. who, according to all estimates, are law-abiding, uh, take care of themselves, take care of their families. And for no good reason, this administration has decided to take away their legal work status. Now, on the uh, DACA fix, uh, the president has said he wanted to let Congress fix that problem. You say that Congress has its hands full, but it's not even clear that the president would accept whatever Congress sends to him. It's not clear. We get a lot of mixed messages from the administration. Uh, just today on Tuesday, the president said in a uh, sort of little press conference with Republicans in the White House that he'd sign anything that Congress sends him when it comes to immigration. But in other areas and other times, he's put out press releases or said that he wants a border wall, extra security. He wants to cut legal immigration. And if we do that and a bunch of other stuff, then he will support legalizing the DACA kids. So it's really hard to find out where he stands on this. So what if we adopted an immigration policy that were, if you're not a criminal or diseased, you're in, and we also build the wall? Is that a good compromise? That is a compromise that I would support. And I think that would be beneficial for current and future Americans and would lead to an amount of economic growth in this country that we have uh, that would be so high that we'd never uh, witnessed before and would be difficult to replicate going forward. Alex Narasta is an immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Late last year, we tried something a little different. We asked listeners of the Cato Daily Podcast to support the broad mission of the Cato Institute financially. And you did. Tony Costanzo, thank you for your patron-level support of the Cato Institute. It's support like yours that keeps us in the business of promoting liberty. And as always, thank you for listening. 